0: If you are a 4th or 5th grader or you have a 4th or 5th grader, they're going to want to check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, speaking of 4th and 5th grade, I remember when I was in 4th or 5th grade, my dad invited me to help him with a job around our house, and the whole event has been seared in my memory for the rest of my life. Uh, My parents live on 12 acres of land in southern Indiana, and, there's, and out in front of their house, there's two big fields, and then behind their house, there's a hillside that goes up and it plateaus off. But when I was a kid, my dad raised about 12 or so cows, which meant that the majority of that was fenced in for them for pasture land, which meant that one of the jobs that we had to do from time to time was to walk the fence row to make sure that the fence was intact and hadn't fallen over because when that, when that wasn't the case... The cows would roam the neighborhood and it was never fun to try to get them to come back in. And so when I was 10 years old, my dad wanted to show me how to mend a fence for the very first time. So he invited me on the trek around our entire property to, to fix a fence. Well, as it turns out, the fence was broken or had something had fallen on it on the top of the hill behind their house. We got up there and there was this huge rotted log that was laying over the fence. And so we were going to have to rock it off rock it back and forth it's pretty big and we we're gonna have to push it about three feet that direction now i'm only 10 but my dad said come on jerry let's do this and so we start rocking back and forth and back and forth and the whole time we're pushing on this thing i don't know what was going on but i just kept like swatting at my hair like this and my dad was getting kind of frustrated he's like you need to use both hands we're never going to get this done like if you're a dad you've probably said something like that before like back and forth rock and and then it happened and I'll never forget it. My dad, who was standing like right here, an arm's distance away, in his manliest voice yells, run for your life, Jerry. And I, I look over at him. I don't know what he's talking about. And he grabs my hand and we take off sprinting down this rocky wooded hillside because we were being chased by an angry swarm of these guys. They were, yeah, these people, there. <gasps> we call them wood hornets. I don't know what they're called. They're like they're as big as my pinky. I kid you not. They were not happy that we were moving their home. My dad tells me he remembers seeing the whole swarm. It was like a cartoon. They just came up and came at us. And yes, in case you're wondering, we both got stung and no, it did not feel good. We ran and ran and ran. It was it was kind of the scary thing. And it, it kind of reminded me of this idea that nobody ever likes to be chased, right? Have you ever met anybody that enjoys being chased by anyone or anything? Nobody enjoys that, right? Why? Because typically whatever is chasing you wants to harm you in some way. My wife, I've tried to invite her on numerous occasions to play laser tag. You know what she says? No, I don't like to be chased. It's a dark room and people are coming after me to kill me. I don't, I don't wanna do that, right? Nobody likes to be chased because we know that the, the, the chaser wants to hurt us, right? Now, when you're a kid, you play this game, you chase after one another and that's cool, but as we grow up, we just know the older we get, whatever is doing the chasing wants to harm us. And there's nothing worse than leaving your front door to go on a walk or a jog only to have the neighbor's dog chase you off of down the street, right? Because they're, they're protecting their turf. But unfortunately, being chased for us isn't limited to this game that we play when we were kids or the experience of being chased by your neighbor's dog. The, the reality is, is, as we get older, we start to realize it just feels like there's lots of things that chase us all the time, everywhere we go. And for some of us, it might be the presence, the ominous presence of a bully at school or on campus or at work. And maybe they physically chase you, but maybe they don't. Maybe it's just knowing that they're there and their presence just kind of follows you everywhere you go and you get that sick feeling in your stomach. Or maybe for some of us, it's just the never-ending deadlines of life and school and work and home that are always nipping at our heels. There's the next thing to do, and the next place to go, and the the next thing to check off the list. And then there's just the limitless limitless responsibilities of adulting, right? As we become adults, we realize, well, I've got to take care of myself, because if I don't, who will? And then you're married, and you have kids, and you got to help take care of those people. And there's other people that need your attention. And then there's really important things to do, like paying the bills on time, right? And nobody likes to pay the bills on time. But speaking of bills, what about that thing called debt that we're all tempted to want to feed but over the course of time, it gets so large, it becomes this monster that just follows us around everywhere we go. It's chasing us down. It's hunting us down. But sometimes there's things that chase us, honestly, that are they're out of our control. There's the haunting reality of the grief that comes from losing a loved one. And everywhere you go, you want it to go away, but that grief just follows you and it sticks with you. Or there's the pain of someone walking out on us maybe multiple times, there's the fear of a bad diagnosis that could be handed to us, the baggage that we carry of things that have been done to us, or there's just the shame of our past decisions. And we have to live with the reality that, yeah, I did that and it hurt me or it hurt them. But no matter what it is, we can always feel its presence. It's it's always there, it's always on our mind. When we're by ourselves, when we're alone, it's there with us and it stalks us and it taunts us, and it chases us. And I think we would all agree, we've all been there before, we're probably there now, and it is not a fun reality to live in, is it? Well, today we're gonna wrap up our series. We've been going through Psalm 23. We've called this series, The Valley. And believe it or not, as David wraps up this Psalm, he wants to talk about the reality that there is something that's always chasing us no matter where we go. It's guaranteed to chase us, and we, here's, here's the worst part. We can't get away from it. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, great, Jerry, that's just what I needed to hear today. There's one more thing in my life that I have to worry about chasing me around, but I I just wanna put your, your mind at ease because this thing that chases us, David says, is actually a very good thing. And this thing that chases us has the power to chase away all of our fear and all of our doubts if we can learn to lean into it. But before we get to Psalm 23, I just wanna take a moment and pray and ask God for his help to guide us through his word together today so we can get what he has for us. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this ancient psalm, this psalm that is 3,000 years old, and we have been just enjoying for the last six or seven weeks going through this word by word, verse by verse. It is so rich. And on week one, when we started, we said our, our goal is to discover eternal hope and knowing that we're never alone. And, and every week you have just shown up and, and said, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. And, and just, we have heard more people comment on this series and saying, oh, it's been so good for me. So thank you, God. Thank you for the power of your word. Holy Spirit, will you help us today as we wrap this up? Would you give us the eyes and the ears to see and hear what you want? Would you help us to have the heart in the mind, to to perceive what you would want for us today. And would you help us to respond to you in obedience and in confidence, Jesus, in whatever you have for us. Help us to respond in a way that's good, that's pleasing to you. Jesus, we love you, and it is in your very powerful name that we pray. Amen. So throughout this series, we've been discussing the reality that life Rarely goes the way we want or plan. And that can be pretty frustrating, can it? And a lot of times that reality lands us in a rut, or worse yet, we find ourselves stuck in a valley where we feel like we are being hunted down by things like loneliness and worry and fear and doubt and anxiety and depression. But one of the things that David has reminded us of in Psalm 23 over and over and over and over again is this reality that God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd and he, he cares for us the way a shepherd cares for his flock. And, and honestly, that might sound like a weird analogy for us in 2019 in Hamilton County because how many of you did some shepherding this week? Like when we talk about shepherds, how many of you are like, oh yeah, I did that with the sheep this week, right? It's, it's kind of hard for us to grasp onto, but it's important for us to remember that David was a shepherd. He wrote this from the perspective of a shepherd. And, and it's really important for us to know that, in two, that back in David's day, shepherding was no joke. It, it was a really hard profession. In fact, in 1 Samuel 17, David was getting ready to fight this giant man named Goliath. You've probably heard of Goliath before, but before he was able to fight the giant, he had to convince the king that he could actually fight and win. And listen to what David says as he's sharing his own credentials. In 1 Samuel 17, he says this, "'Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep.'" So I've been watching my dad's sheep. "'When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock.'" I went after it. I struck it and rescued, it from the, th- rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Now, either David is the world's worst liar or he was the world's first MMA fighter. One of those two things has to be true here, right? Because by his own words, he personally admits to fighting and killing a bear and a lion. I mean, can you imagine? He says, I grabbed it by the hair, and I killed it. How would you like for that to be part of your job description? Like, you just have to live in that reality. That could happen today or tomorrow, right? But the point is that a shepherd always had to be on the watch, on the lookout for anything that would want to attack his sheep. There were predators all around, and this would have been especially true at the end of the day. One of the things we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that it was common for a shepherd to take his flock out grazing over a space of about five square miles throughout the course of the day. And I don't know how that worked, but my guess is you would go out and you'd come back and you'd go out and you'd come back and you'd do a whole long day of walking. And as you might imagine, when it came time to come to the end of the day and you're walking home, everybody's tired and the sheep are weak, which meant that they were a perfect target for a predator like a bear, a lion, a fox that might be prowling nearby. And so knowing this, any good shepherd would anticipate being followed everywhere they go, and they would keep a careful watch over the back of the flock because they didn't want anything to sneak up on them. Now, with that in mind, I want you to pay attention to what David says in Psalm 23, six. I think he's painting a picture for us here using a shepherding analogy. Look at what he says. Surely, God, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David talks about the reality that something is following him, but before we, before we, before we get to that, I just want to take a moment and look at some of these specific words that David uses, because I think he's drawing our attention to something very specific. The first word is this word, surely. He doesn't say maybe, or possibly, or perhaps. He says, surely. He was confident in who God was and what God could do. So he says, surely your goodness. Now this word, goodness, in Hebrew is the same word that's found in the creation story in Genesis one and two. And if you're familiar with the creation story, what did God say every day after he created something? It is, he said, is good. Day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. And then God topped off his creative genius on day six. He created the woman and he said, this is very good. And I just wanna take a side note and say, I agree with God. I think all of you ladies are spectacular especially my wife, right? So you get this idea that this word good, it means something, it's important. And the idea behind goodness here is that no matter what hardships we might face here and now, eventually the full goodness of God will ultimately win out in our everyday lives. So he says, surely your goodness and some translations, this next word, some translations say love, some translations say mercy, but here's what you need to know. This word in the Hebrew, it's a doozy. Many Hebrew scholars or, or yeah, many Hebrew scholars say that this is the richest word in all of the Hebrew language. The word that's used here is the word chesed. Did you hear how I said that and I had to spit a little bit? Try that with me. Chesed. Hesed. Somebody over here got it really good. You probably spit on your neighbor, right? And here's the idea that is encapsulated in that word. It means mercy and love and loving kindness and unfailing love and faithfulness. But the most common translation is steadfast love. This, this particular word is so rich that it can't effectively be translated or understood by just using one English word. This word hesed carries with it a strong sense of God's loyalty and his faithfulness. It conveys God's covenant loyalty to his people. Now, here's, all, here's what that means in really simple terms. It means God's love and faithfulness towards us has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with, with who God is. He is just faithful to us because he is faithful and that's who he is. It's kind of hard for us to really wrap our minds around how powerful this word is. And so maybe what David would want us to know is God's hesit, his mercy and love and loving kindness towards us, it's always about his faithfulness. And so in Psalm 23 6, David says this, "'Surely, without a shadow of a doubt, God's goodness and deep abiding, faithful, merciful, loving kindness, and steadfast love will, and it says it will do what? It will follow me, David says. And here's the thing, that word follow actually means to pursue or to chase. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for just a moment. We get so caught up in all the negative things that chase us around right, all the the bad stuff, like the fear of the unknown, the doubt of why, the anxiety of what if. It's easy for us to lose sight of God's goodness in the middle of all that, isn't it? But David kind of goes in another direction. He's like, well, I'm not gonna focus on the negative. I'm gonna focus on the fact I'm not followed by evil. I'm actually being chased. I'm being pursued by God's goodness and his steadfast love. Now, that's a a big change in perspective, isn't it? I mean, what if instead of being afraid of all the bad and all the evil that followed us around, what if we could be like David and we could celebrate the fact that God's goodness isn't just pursuing us, it's chasing after us? Chuck Swindoll is a pastor and an author, and if you've never read anything of Chuck's or you've never heard Chuck's, but he is fantastic. And on this note, on Psalm 23, he, he goes one step further and he develops this idea of of God being a shepherd, and he says this. If God's a shepherd, he has two sheepdogs named Goodness and Loving Kindness. And he goes on to say this. Do you realize that these two faithful sheepdogs watch over you and they care for you? Their presence reminds us that relief has come. They bring us back into the shadow of the shepherd who graciously welcomes us and forgives us. And the point that Chuck is making there is that whether we realize it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we want it or not, God is always chasing us and pursuing us with his presence. And here's the thing, he doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants us to know and understand his goodness the same way that he desires for uh, uh, desires to have a relationship with, with him. Now this is really important, okay? This, we're not talking about like your spouse or your parent, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your best friend. We're talking about the God of the universe, the God that spoke and everything existed, the God that hung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. This is the, this is the one that's pursuing us with his goodness and his love. So here's my question. Do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that that is true and possible for you? Because if you're like me, I think, you know what, I think it's true. I think it's true for other people. Because if you know you the way I know me, you know the things that you think about, right? And you know the things that you've done and the things that you've said. You know the things that you want to do. And if you're like me, I'm thinking, well, if I'm God, I wouldn't pursue people like me. There's, not, there's really nothing faithful. There's really not anything about me that's worth pursuing. But here's the good news that David wants us to remember. Even when our moods change and shift, God's never does. When our devotion towards Him falters, He doesn't towards us. When we're faithless, He remains faithful. But maybe you're, some of you are thinking, okay, I get that, but what about all the bad stuff? Like, what about the diagnosis that I just received? What if I lose my job again? What about that time that my career went up in flames? Why why did that person have to die? What if I never get married? What if I never have children? What if my children never come back to God? What if my spouse walks out on me again? What if my circumstances never change? What what if all the junk of my life just keeps burning down to the ground? What am I I gonna do then? What will I do about that? And can we just be honest for a moment? We've talked about this every week of this series. But you know what's true is that life is hard and very bad things are guaranteed to happen to every one of us. There's just no way to escape it. And so when that happens, does that mean that God's not good? Does that mean that he's drawn up an exception for us? Does that mean that he's forgotten about us or he's not going to come through? I mean, how could David say in good conscience that God's goodness and mercy and loving kindness followed him through situations even like that? And I think it's a fair question, but I think the problem is one of the reasons we ask questions like that is because we project what we would do onto God. What do you do in situations like that? If you're like me, you probably get nervous and you get scared and you get angry and you run and you hide and you blame. But I think what David is saying is that's not the way God is. That's not what, that's not what God does. We run away. He doesn't run away. He chases after us with his goodness. In fact, David seems to make the case That not only does God's goodness chase us, but it's strong enough to carry us through any and every circumstance that we face in life. And then David goes on to tell us, if all that's true, he, he tells us just how long this goodness and kindness, this chasing will last. Look at what he says. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me on the good days. Surely your goodness and love will follow me on vacation or on Saturday." He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, on the good days and on the bad days, on the memorable days and on the days that you want to forget. And then look at how he ends the whole, he wraps up the whole verse in the whole psalm by saying this. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, where did David anticipate spending his days? He doesn't say, well, eventually I'm hoping to retire to a maintenance-free condo on the north side of Indy. That'd be nice. Or eventually I'm going to build that retirement home up in the the mountains or on the beach and I'm just going to chill. He says, oh, it's so much better than that. He says, I plan on living in the security of God's presence for the rest of my life, for the rest of eternity. Now, in order for us to really wrap our mind around this, maybe it would be good for us to go back to another uh, shepherding Analogy. At the end of the day, a shepherd would lead his flock back to a a pen or a sheepfold that would look just like this. This is a picture of a sheep sheepfold from Israel, and you'll notice off in the distance there's a cave back there, so there's a little bit of uh, safety from the rain. But you'll notice it's it's encircled by by a, a rock wall, and you'll notice the circle, the red circle there. That's kind of the gateway to get in, and it's really narrow, right? And so here's the idea: at the end of the day, when they would arrive back safely the shepherd would stand there and he would let all of his sheep pass before him one at a time and he would inspect them to make sure that there was nothing sticking on them or hanging on them to make sure that they weren't bleeding and he would tend them and he would let them in. And then when he was done, he would sit right there. And when he would sit there, it was his way of protecting his flock that was safe behind him. And I just, I can't help but wonder if that's not the picture that David had in his mind when he said, surely your goodness and love, they they follow me, and I'm just gonna dwell with you forever because the same way that my sheep are safe behind me right now, well, God, I'm safe because you're always in front of me. You're around me all the time. No matter where I go, no matter what happens to me, your company is always with me. And I realize that when we talk about that, it sounds really good in theory, right? Right? But what, what about reality? I mean, what about when the chaotic reality around us is scary and uncertain? How can that be true then? And there's a, there's a really important thing for us to remember about David. We know this, but it's easy for us to forget it. David's life really wasn't all that easy. We get to read the good parts, but what we find is when you, if, when you go and read David's story, his boss tried to kill him when he was pretty young. And his boss was never able to pull it off. He tried to kill him in public, by the way. His boss could never pull it off. So then he hired other people to kill him. And somehow David managed to escape that. But then later in life, we talked about this last week, his own son mustered up an army of 12,000 men to hunt him down and kill him. So just imagine what it would be like to have three groups of people try to kill you at some point throughout your life. That'd be hard. That'd be pretty stressful, right? But here's the other thing for us to remember about David. He wasn't squeaky clean. I mean, David had lots of sins and lots of faults and lots of flaws. There's the time that he had an affair with a woman, and then he turned around and had her husband killed to cover up his shame, hoping that no one would notice. And so it's safe to say that David had some hard spots, but he also had some dark spots. But here's the thing. In spite of all of his circumstances and in spite of all of his shortcomings, somehow David managed to keep this thought in front of him of who God is and how much God Loved him, And so if there's anything that we can learn from the entirety of Psalm 23, maybe it's this. We can follow David's example of learning to practice God's presence everywhere we go all the time. And I think that's exactly what David is saying throughout this psalm. He is just practicing God's presence that is with him all the time. He begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I lack nothing. God, because you're my shepherd, you, you provide for me everything that I need. And then in every single verse that follows, he brags on God's goodness towards him. He says this, he says, when I was tired, you gave me comfort and rest. You helped me find my way back when I wander off course. When I rebelled against you, you brought me back and you restored me. And then he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, you gave me protection, and you provided me with confidence. And then last week, we talked about the fact that David said, God, you have invited me into your company as your honored guest. I mean, when we practice God's presence, we can believe some pretty amazing things about God that are true. He loves us, and he cares for us. We are worth pursuing. And so when you think about all that in light of all of that, listen to how David wraps up Psalm 23. He says, surely, Without a shadow of a doubt, your goodness and your deep abiding, faithful, merciful, loving kindness and steadfast love will chase me every day of my life. And because of that, I can be confident that I will live in the security of your presence today and tomorrow and forever. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today and you're following Jesus, I'm going to guess that you believe that those things are true, right? Right. They're true, and you know that they're true, but they're very easy to forget. They're very easy to get distracted away from. But what if, what if we leaned into this idea and said, God, you're always chasing me. I don't have to be afraid of the bad stuff because your goodness and your steadfast love, you're always pursuing me. Or maybe for those of us that are here and we're curious about Jesus, but we haven't made a decision yet, Maybe one of the reasons that you feel all that anxiety is you just never experienced the goodness of Jesus. Would you be willing to start a conversation with somebody about that today? But how are you gonna respond? I mean, these, these are either ancient words that we just talk about, or they're ancient words that come from the mouth of God that he would want us to know there's a way that we can live here where there's hope and there's life and there's happiness and there's peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word is eternal. We believe that your word is powerful. We believe that your word is true. And so would you help us to grasp onto this today? Surely your goodness and your steadfast love chases us, chases after us, doesn't give up on us. There's no place that we can go that would be too dark for you to chase us. And there's none of us that are so good that we don't need to be chased. Would you help us to rest in these words? Would you help us to learn to pray through these words on a daily basis so that we can, just like David, in confidence, practice your presence day in and day out? Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now and help us to know how to respond? It's in your name we pray, Jesus.